right, so welcome and or welcome back to the Sink or Swim podcast here at NSUMB. So I do not sound like Mitch or Sam. Um, I'm going to be a new co-host for the Sink or Swim podcast. My name is Katie Kennan and I'm a second year medical student. My name is Desi Patel and I too am a second year medical student. And I'm Andrew Stewart and I'm a second year medical student as well. Alright, so those are our quick little introductions. So today's episode, we are going to be discussing the admissions and interview process with our very own Dr. Bachman. Hi. I'm relieved to not be hosting this. We we love we loved when you hosted it though. It was great. It was amazing. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so basically what we want to do first, Dr. Bachman, if you could just give us like a quick introduction and a little bit more about your background and what led you to come to NSUMB. Okay. Um, I let's see, I was not prepared for this. I my background, I, I have a PhD in oncology. Uh, I got that at Moffitt Cancer Center uh, a little while back. Uh, I did my postdoc at Washington University in St. Louis. I got my focus at that point was with women's health, particularly in infectious diseases. Um, and then after that, I, I moved here. Uh, my I'm from Orlando. Uh, my wife is from Fort Lauderdale, and she wanted to move closer to home, so that's what we did. And it was serendipitous that the medical school was starting uh, when we were moving down here. So I was fortunate enough to be actually the first faculty hire. Uh, surprise! I, I, I say that a lot, so it's probably not surprising anymore. But yes, yeah, so uh, that's how I ended up here. I started off uh, uh, being a faculty. Uh, I'm still a faculty, uh, but uh, teaching and focusing on creation of the fundamentals course. So I did that for almost a year before we had any students. Uh, and then we had students, and then I did that for four more years. And uh, as, as all of you know, maybe anyone listening, I'm no longer the course director for Fundamentals. I took over an admin role uh, for curricular affairs, and now I'm seeing like, the big, bigger data part of that. Uh, so it's super fun and exhausting, but also fun. Yeah. We love that. We <laughs> love that. So we're basically sitting with the legends, and she wrote the first hire at MSUMB. It's basically what you're telling us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, legend. Uh, what, what's another word for that? Uh, goats. Go. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the goat of NSUMD. <laughs> I was going to say like cautionary tale, but sure. Yeah. Legend. That's it. <laughs> like. I like legend. 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 <laughs> All right. All right. So I believe if you're listening, you're probably interested in applying to medical school and you probably know the admissions process and in terms of like prereqs, MCAT, and some of the things that you specifically need to do to better your application. But we wanted to ask um, you some questions, Dr. Bachman, specifically about NSUMB and any advice that you can give to any pre-meds that are applying to medical school. So our first question is, what classes would you recommend that pre-meds take for admissions? Um. Every class. I don't know. I, um, <laughs> well, obviously, uh, your basic uh, requirements. So, you know, your bios, your site, or, uh, your physics, sorry, uh, chemistries, all those, you, you need to have those for any medical school you're going to apply to. Um, I think the one that's probably not uncommon anymore, but it's still not necessarily a mandate, is biochemistry. Uh, it really does help you if you have that coming in. Historically, students wouldn't really take biochemistry coming in, but because it's transitioned into something that's on the MCAT, it's pretty much something that everyone does now. I think more than 90% of students coming in now take it. Uh, so that might be a moot point. Um, but it's probably ones that are health-related that 
either are truly hard or have the perception of being hard that students shy away from. Mm-hmm. The ones I think of the most are things like immunology, um, maybe something related to pathophysiology. Anatomy is great if you can take it. Um, not every school offers it. And anatomy, like classroom based, is maybe helpful. But for most medical schools, if you are able to get like some sort of cadaver experience beforehand, it's certainly to your benefit. That being said, it's not necessary. I don't think all of you took all those courses I just rambled off, right? Yeah, so, and you did fine. Um, and yeah, okay, you're just like, yeah, oh, sure, okay. Fine but, is a relative. Okay, word. well, <laughs> we you're, you're here, year. yes. So, you're all fine. Uh, it's not about knowing everything when you enter in, uh, it's just about learning in general. So, you know, it's it might help you as far as um, your chances, but maybe not. I don't know. I, I think most admissions groups don't look that heavy on did you take all these upper levels or not? Um, because not all of them are in the weeds of looking at like what is the specific course that makes a difference. And none of them really do uh, individually. It's more you holistically as an applicant on your success. But yeah. I certainly agree with that. If I had taken anatomy as an undergrad, <laughs> fundamentals would have been a lot easier. Perhaps, smoother. yeah. Also relative. I took anatomy, and <laughs> I, I don't know if it was easier. I mean, colorful pictures compared to cadavers is a big difference. You don't realize how much color helps. Mm, that's fair, yeah. There's other things to consider, though, outside of just your basic academics. Like, I went to a small liberal arts college, and I took community uh, communications classes and theater classes and things like that. And so I missed a lot of the science stuff. But when the practice of medicine course and interviewing patients. Sorry, someone tried to zoom me. (laughs) (laughs) So so talking to patients was really easy for me because I had those experiences. That's actually touches on something that's really important, I think, to consider is the holistic candidate. Uh, Because it's not just about your academics when you get into medical school. It's everything else with that. And I, as a curriculum affairs dean, uh, emphasize that like as you're being graded in medical school, you're be, we're looking at nine different competencies that you need to be able to be successful in by the time you graduate. Only one of them has to do with how well you are at taking a test. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and even that one is a little broader than just saying that. Uh, so, yeah, we're not just looking that you're graded at MCAT score. You're getting a 4.0 GPA. We need to see that you're also someone that is very dynamic, very sociable, has a lot of humanistic qualities that are engaging to the community in some way. And those can show up on a transcript in some ways, but maybe more towards also your experiences as well. Um, Yeah, we're looking for different voices. You know, we want, you know, as you were saying with uh, what you took for your classes, that's an interesting uh, perspective that could enter into a school that, you know, the nothing wrong with you having a major in biology but if we have 51 people that all took the same exact major in the exact same courses you know there's not a lot of diversity there as far as thought goes maybe in other ways but just at least on transcripts right that makes sense that does and leading on to that a lot of people opt to take some research courses or just like research experiences Um, to help with their admissions process. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts of getting research experiences during your undergraduate or master's degree before medical school? It's good. Um, You know, I'm conflicted with that sometimes because I, as someone that 
has been a graduate student and a postdoc and mentored a lot of uh, wannabe or future uh, medical students, there's only so much that they can engage in unless they're a full-time researcher. Uh, if they're there off and on during their time when an undergrad, to me, it's like, yeah, they can get some idea of it, but they're not hitting the ground running as far as research goes. Like So to me, if I see a thousand hours of research, that's cool. Um, what really makes the difference, though, is if I see that they've presented something at a conference, if they've maybe published something, that goes a long way to more solidify that. And I don't know anyone listening or all of you what you did in your undergrad experience, but I can tell you that my graduate mentor often would just assign them to clean dishes and they certainly got a thousand hours on their CV for cleaning dishes. Doesn't mean they know a lot about the lab, but they got that. So it's hard to know from somebody that doesn't know anything but that profile, how true that is, unless I see something else backing that up. So, you know, that, that's all I would say for that. So it could help. Depends on what you want to do, too. Do you like research? Like, if you don't, find something else. I feel like now, like, the, I don't know, the pre-med world, it's like you have to get research in order to get into medical school. Like, is this hmm. now becoming a soft requirement, or would you say it's oh yeah. you can or not? Um, it may be so. I, I would say that it's probably the low-hanging fruit. So, basically, most medical schools... We'll have two components to experience that they're looking for. For us, and this isn't a set number, but it's a general number, we're looking for generally a thousand hours of something clinical. Um, and 300 of that, we want at least minimum that you're interacting with a physician during that time. So 700 could be that you're volunteering and like maybe, I don't know, a blood donation or, you know, uh, in the hospital of some sort. That's great, but we also want at least 300 where you're either scribing or shadowing or maybe volunteering as um, an EMT or working as an EMT even. So any of those are really what we're looking for there. But there is that other component that you're talking about that research maybe can fill is we also are looking about 500 hours of something else that mm -hmm. sets you apart. And that could be research, so scholarly, but it could also be service. Mm -hmm. It could also be whatever else you want it to be that shows that you uh, have something that could be an interesting contribution to the medical field. It can't just be like, oh, I just, uh, I don't know, something I just enjoy walking around the park and looking at the sky and something like that. That doesn't really land. I mean, you can say that as maybe your interesting hobby, but uh, you it needs to be something that, oh, that's a really cool thing that you do. That could be like a different angle that they bring as a, a person in medical school. So any of those could count. The reason I feel like research kind of, intertwines a lot is it also gets conflated with like competition as far as your residency goes right. and it's prestigious it's academic so that could lead to you getting another academic recommendation um it could also honestly it's just something that's consistently available it's almost like a, a free you're working free at a job so if you're already at the university you know you need these additional hours you might just go to research because it's just a professor that you know that's already just in the same building that might be the case. Um, I'm not really sure why it's always confounded as like the premier thing that you must have, but mm -hmm. we've certainly accepted many students that have zero research experience. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. It, do, it, it doesn't matter. You can you'll get more training here if you want it. You know, um, and th that's basically it. I, I don't really know what else it could be. I mean, obviously, there's certain very competitive specialties that. It is very research heavy. Mm -hmm. 
And if that is the vocal group that is saying, oh, research is important, that might be what you're hearing. Because, yeah, that's the upper echelon of what maybe you need as expectations. But that's not the requirements in any way. That's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I know if I were a pre-med right now, I would be happy to hear that. I'd be very <laughs> relieved. I did not hit the 300-hour no. quota. No, <laughs> it's fine. Like, um, there's other things, though, that, like I said, that can add up to that. Service is a big one. Um, something in the community. Um, and honestly, any of those things really should be painting a picture of who you are as a candidate. Mm-hmm. So if you have, if you write in your essay and your personal statements and all that, all those things about you know community engagement and helping it with that community, but then you have zero community engagement in your activities. Be like, eh, that seems disingenuous. Right. And same really could be said for research. You're like, I have five thousand hours of research, but you have no publications and you make no hint of it whatsoever about it, and you have no LOR maybe from your uh, mentor. I mean, like, what's going on with that? Why why do you even do it then? Um, or is this a backup plan? Or maybe you were going into a PhD and that's why you did that. I don't know. Um, but it doesn't really paint a, a really good understanding of who they are. Um, it's just, okay, you checked a box. Right. Cool. So speaking of experiences, um, one question that we had, also controversial, is what counts as clinical? So I know you mentioned <laughs> 300 hours of working with a physician, like scribing um, or shadowing. Mm-hmm. But like, for instance, on my application, I listed being a pharmacy technician as a clinical experience. Mm-hmm. Some schools said, yeah, that counts as clinical. Yeah. But other schools are like, you worked at CVS behind a register. That's not really clinical. It would definitely count, and that's why we have the layer of, we say 1,000, and then 300 had to be with direct physician interaction. Mm-hmm. To me, that would, and this is just my opinion, so yeah, you're right, other people might say no. I would count that in the clinical experiences, mm-hmm. uh, because in my sense, too, you're still interacting with a patient, or right. some degree yeah. of that patient. You can call it interprofessional uh, communication, because you were maybe the pharmacist instead of the doctor in that like, experience, but it's still like some level of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't necessarily count towards that 300, but it would definitely from the overall thousand in my mind. Uh, because with the 300, I'm, well, Samantha's not on anymore, but she was very deba- heavily debated this kind of as a concept. And I, I kind of have come to appreciation of, you know, the difference between like scribing and shadowing. Like mm-hmm. why are they perceived different or valued different? And to me, the scribing is really good experience for you as a student. You get like hands-on, you really get to help with writing those notes. Um, and you'll probably get some interactions with a physician if you're in like a, a small practice or something. If the ER, maybe not, you'll get a lot of different interactions. Um, so that's great for you. But this, the uh, shadowing, one, you can observe some things, but I, really the goal for shadowing at that point is if you get enough hours, you'll probably get a letter of recommendation from that person. And that's almost like signaling from an MD to people that sit on that committee that are also MDs that, hey, yeah, this person's all right kind of thing. And that's kind of where I think a lot of MDs that are on committees really value something like a, a shadowing experience where you, somebody that actually experienced that would be like, well, I got so much more out of that scribing than I got the shadowing. So I don't really understand why this is so important. That's really where I see it as, is that it is it is really much just a kind of an inside, yes, I approve this person kind of thing, mm-hmm. rather than anything else. Um, so it's almost like auditioning for an LOR. 
So maybe as a pro tip to anyone listening, if you're doing scribing, uh, don't just do like two hours. Do a little more, enough that you have a relationship with this person that you can get an LOR out of it. Otherwise, I would recommend just doing something else. Because, um, yeah, two hours here and there doesn't really make a lot of difference. And that's a really good transition to our next question. Does NSU MD require a letter from a MD or a DO physician? So I don't believe they require it, uh, but it certainly works in your favor. Um, it depends on who sits on the committee at any given year, but I've heard, certainly heard that on committees before and saying, you know, um, I don't see a physician letter. Um, I don't get a sense of like why they want to be a physician in these letters. Um, because you can always get a nice letter from a professor that says they were a great student. They showed up. You can be a great student in any program. Mm -hmm. Why? You know, and that kind of comes down to the main point. Anybody that's looking at the, your information in your packet, we need to get a sense of why do you want to be an MD physician? Why this program? Why not a PA? Why not a DO program? Why not a nurse? Like any of those can help society and they're all valuable. Why this? And hopefully not because of money, because one, it's you know, it's not as great as it used to be, but it's still good. It's still good pay. It's uh, right. But it's all right. Um, but also, if that's the answer, that's not a good answer. Um, definitely don't say that. But pro tip, hopefully you don't need that pro tip. Uh, but um, yeah, there needs to be a reason why you want to go into this. And not everyone will have a perfect crystallizing answer themselves because maybe they. You know, maybe they're the first uh, in their family to be an, a physician or want to be a physician and they won't, don't necessarily have that kind of information. But if they have a letter from an MD that they've worked with, mm -hmm. they might be able to articulate that in a way that they never maybe had the opportunity to think about because they didn't get that kind of luxury. They didn't have someone in their family. They didn't have someone whatever that can say, hey, this is what you need to say kind of thing. Um, and maybe it just comes out perfectly anyway, but it just doubles down. So if you have a perfect answer in your essay, why you want to be a physician and it's reinforced with how that md saw you in clinical care that's gold like that is a perfect like, a, kind of packet and of course there's the layer of the actual interview but right. yeah that makes sense i've never like heard it described that way like essay the reason behind why you want a physician letter is to basically confirm that yeah. this is what you you know your reason why or this is what you want to do I do like that, yeah. Um, let's see. Actually, we had a question about interviews. So, sure, yeah. Oh, no. At least in <laughs> our um, cycle, that was COVID. So yeah. our interviews yeah. were virtual. Um, how has the interview process changed for this upcoming cycle and potentially future cycles for students at our school? So at our school, I, I'm actually not in the know anymore because I uh, yeah. I... I'm out. Of, I'm out. I had to like tap out because I too much is going on. So I was, uh, for anyone knowing, I was chair last year, but I had to step aside. Uh, one, admins are not usually supposed to be chair roles in any way. Um, but uh, it, I, it's a lot of work, honestly. It does take a lot of time to go through everything. You want to give everyone a very thorough, fair chance. They are applying to your school and... You know, not everyone that applies, that even ones that are qualified, will get an interview. Mm -hmm. I maybe said this in a previous podcast too, but I think we had like 700 that were greenlit to interview that mm -hmm. we didn't have enough space to interview for. Oh, wow. We we simply didn't have enough days, and we go really long in the cycle compared to other schools. 
what I can say for this upcoming year is it will probably be mostly the same. We're, you know, MMI kind of style. We'll have like a little group PBL activity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's most of it's the same every, any given year. Don't, don't try to game it. Like the ones, it's very apparent when someone comes in with a very prepped, rehearsed kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily tank you, but it doesn't also help you at all either. Right. It kind of leaves you at a, like a neutral stance. Unless like what you came prepared for is absolutely horrible. And then, yeah, then you're, good luck. Um, but, you know, that's just something to consider with interview day. And for that, interviews are probably... I mean, 30 to even 50% of someone's decision-making, it's not like that set in stone, but I, at least in my perspective, it can really make or break somebody, um, mm-hmm. especially if they come off rude, disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And I'm going all over the place with this interview, but um, let's see. The biggest thing I've noticed, too, is when you are interviewing, whether it's virtual or not, you are always being interviewed at an interview. Whether you're in the waiting room or wherever, you're always on until that day, until you sign off, until you leave. Yeah. Admins are watching, students are watching, you know, and we don't necessarily, we as a school don't necessarily solicit feedback from the students that have a lunch thing because we want it to be like a little safe environment. I know schools that do that. We certainly ask the the admissions admin, like, hey, was there any red flags? Because we don't want someone to come here and be disrespectful to our staff, right. you know. So all of those things we do take into consideration, and some of them are instant just no's. Like if they are being really rude, and we hear it from a couple people, why would we take the chance on that person? Right. Like it's only fifty spots. Um, but as far as interviews go, uh, this probably be part of the conversation is of uh, controversy. It's probably going to stay virtual, and I think most schools are going to stay virtual. The pros to that are it's cheaper for yeah, students. We get cheaper. a lot more West Coast than we ever would have before. Um, so, and it allows students to actually try different options. Uh, right. There might be more limitations to how many schools you can visit. And, you know, you never want anybody to go to a school because they had a really narrow pool that they like, interviewed in. And because of that, they only got one offer. So it's like, mm-hmm. I have to, I'm going to go to medical school, so I'll just pick it. You'd rather them pick it based on the style that they would prefer, mm-hmm. uh, ideal in an ideal world. But you know, so that's that's nice. What's downside of that, of course, is that there's not that opportunity to recruit. I think as effectively. Mm-hmm. I I mean I don't know how you all felt about in in a virtual interview, but I did feel. I honestly I couldn't remember any of you from the interview day because it's the it's just a Zoom screen. I don't know. I was like so like when you're like oh hey I remember you for interview. I'm like I'm sure you were there. Yeah, that's great. But and but the first two cycles I did remember not all of them, but I did remember quite a few of them because I was like oh yeah you're the I didn't say that to them. I'm like you're the one that did that thing. Yeah, I remember that. Um, or Samantha, shout out Samantha was the one that got left behind on the bus tour. So. Oh, no. She put it on the podcast already, but oh, so, okay. so it's not like a shock. Um, but yeah, hi Samantha. <laughs> I hope they're listening. That would be nice. That would be lovely. So you guys are literally always watching any small move. I mean, not really, but <laughs> just I mean, like if you do something that's really problematic, it, it's gonna get noticed. Like because you're okay. you want to give a good tour to everybody, mm-hmm. and you know, at least for the people that are admins here too. This is our job, is to make sure that everything's going right or looking for any problems. Um, not necessarily you 
causing problems, but it gets noticed in in the process. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I personally like the virtual interviews. Yeah. I mean, I get I get the argument of doing it in person, just like you were saying, it's more personable. But definitely the amount of money that we save. Oh yeah, especially with how expensive it is just to apply to medical school and do secondaries. Like it, mm. I I thought it was great. Yeah, and then NSU also offers this second look day where mm-hmm. you can come and get a feel of campus in person and see if this is where you want to go after the interview process. Yeah, that's true. I I actually curious from your, all of your perspectives on like second look or anything like that, um, where. This is just purely me hypothesizing, but I would almost wonder um, if maybe there will be like two options. We even considered doing two options for in-person and virtual interviews. Um, The reason I I say those is because like with a second look, pretty much just locals came to the second look. So Mm -hmm. it gave a good opportunity for us to recruit locally, which is one of our initiatives is to kind of recruit locally. But in the same vein, it does narrow you know, diversity pulled from other states and, and, and likewise. Um, so I, if there's two options like that, I can, can I could see it being that it's almost like we're skewing towards a local population. And maybe that's good. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know if all of you are from Brett. Are you from, from Brett? No. Not from Brett. But like South and Central, you're from Central, Central Florida. Florida. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> yes, um, but I know, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I don't know. You know what, I personally, so one thing that I did before COVID was I went, I tried to find schools that offered tours hmm. during the year for prospective students, and then I went to those schools and did a tour prior to the application process, and it really gave me a sense of what the school is about. I got to see it. I got to meet, you know, some of the faculty, whoever gave the tour, if it was a student or whatever. And that really helped me narrow down like exactly what schools I wanted to apply to. And it gave me time to travel because I like went to Tennessee, I went to Georgia. So I was able to make my own plans, schedule it around when they have the tours and see it that way even before applying. I don't know. Wow, my journey was so different. So I applied right after I came out from undergraduate degree, and I wanted to travel to different campuses, but COVID had a different plan. So my entire junior and senior year throughout my application were completely online and were in lockdown for most of it. So no traveling. So I did not see NSU campus until day one in July PI week. So I think I'm glad I like it, but I know, if right? I didn't, <laughs> that would have been a different story. Yeah, I was kind of in the same boat, and I even lived somewhat locally in Central Florida area, but I didn't go to Second Look for NSU, and I didn't know anything about the campus except for there were PBL rooms and auditorium-style classrooms, and then I showed up on the first day and hoped for the best, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it all kind of worked out, but I definitely think having the option to pick between virtual and in-person interviews would really be beneficial to the students who could make it, and also the students who maybe this is their number one school, and the school they want to go to, that they could then plan to actually visit in person and kind of get that experience for themselves. My only concern would be, would there be an implicit bias to those who come and interview in person where you can actually feel them out and have that personable experience versus the ones who can only attend virtually. That would be my only caveat with that. 
Yeah, that's fair. I mean, from the admissions perspective, most of the committee don't typically do the interview days. Oh, okay. So there would be still the perceived score. Uh, but what we try to do, because even, I mean, even with things like PBL, when you have a group, if, if you have just a couple of people that are not that good at it, it can completely kind of railroad the thing. And right, yeah. so we normalize scores a lot too, to say this is the day of score. So you get an idea of like, this is the average for this day. So what would be curious to see, and when we were tentatively going to do an in-person thing and a virtual, I was all for like uh, looking to see if there's going to be a difference, is look at those two normalizations and say, is there a difference between how we score? Because I could see how an interviewer might, you know, there's a lot more body language you can get in person than you can in online. Um, I mean, you're just getting ahead and sometimes not even a good resolution of a head. Uh, so I think even just that alone was probably going to affect it. I actually thought it the opposite, where the students going in person would have maybe, hopefully, more positive bias towards wanting to come because they were at the campus. Because we had that a lot from the first two years where they said, you know, we had this sense that this was a, a small knit environment and that that was something that was positive towards what I wanted in an education system. Because if you go to a lot of those bigger schools, even other schools that are maybe not big for like uh, notoriety, but you have like 100, 150 students, maybe more. Um, you can easily get lost in that. Mm -hmm. 50, we know who you all are. I don't even, I don't yeah. even teach this current class and I know most of them now. So I know who you all, don't worry if you're listening, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so that's like, I think it could go both ways. Right. I don't really know uh, if, you know, if this is good or bad. I do, I hope it's for the better, but, and then the flip side, or the end product as well, it looks like residency interviews are staying that way as well. So, you know, maybe if we're selecting based on how you interview online, that sets you up to do better if we pick the ones that interview well online for future interviews. I see. Because, you know, yeah. Maybe. I have no idea. Who knows? It completely could change again in three years. I don't have any idea. And this is why we do research. So we right. can find these things out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, do you have any advice for students that are preparing for interviews that may be coming up soon? Hmm, advice. Uh, for interviews or, I mean, I, I guess be yourself as much as you can. You can try to look over, get an idea of what an MMI maybe is or get an idea what the school is about. Mm -hmm. um, I can say it, certainly it was a nice plug if the students that did the PBL, when the students are the ones giving leading the session, be like, what's a PBL? And they're like, oh, it's problem-based learning. Like, oh, okay. So you paid attention to like the multiple presentations that came before it. That's cool. Um, but something like that, trying some way to show that you are interested and also that, I don't know, something about your personality. Um, it was always, we always have like certain questions that kind of touch on things that could come up in your personal statement and the like. It's always, sometimes it's, it's a little funny to see how much it was like one-to-one -one the same kind of thing or like, or whatever it might be. Like, I think there's like one about, we don't use it anymore, but about like hobbies and stuff. And some are like way into their hobby. So it came out there, it came out there. And it's like this repeating trend of a certain <laughs> hobby. So those are like fun to like look at. But, uh, you know, it just want to make it something where what you see in person looks similar to who you are on paper. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. If it seems disingenuous on paper because like you're 
I don't know. It seems like you really animate it and you do a lot of outgoing things and you're just kind of stone. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really like, work in your favor. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that would particular matter here. Uh, I mean, you know, the numbers always matter to a certain degree, like mm-hmm. GPA and MCAT. Um, GPA, you know, if you don't think it's good enough, Maybe a master's, maybe post mm-hmm. post backer, right for you. Mm-hmm. It really is important that they have some confidence that you will succeed. Um, there is some correlations between that and at least your initial run uh, when you get here. And it's not like this. Oh, we need to see a hundred percentile MCAT. It's not even close to that. Um, and Samantha's rant about this on this podcast before, but like technically, that M- the MCAT is. Theoretically designed where a 500 and up should make you successful in medical school. In my perspective, it's more like a 503, 504. Um, And I think, you know, MedCat's not evolving as quickly as maybe the curriculum is. And maybe that's where the subtle changes. I don't know. Um, But somewhere around that, you probably will academically be okay. And then if you really want to make sure you have a lot of options, you probably need to think about like a 512 or so mm-hmm. to, okay. to have options for yourself. Um, I don't know. Do you have any advice? Um, you went through it. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we definitely did. And we are going to do like an episode, um, I believe, kind of talking about our experiences. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing, like you said, is just be yourself. I think that that kind of gets lost in trying to portray yourself as, oh, I'm going to be the best doctor, I'm going to be the best medical student except me, when it's really more so, I, they just really want to know who you are. And that's like the biggest thing. So show who you are in your application, in your interviews, and that worked out for me. So Yeah, I would say the same thing. Like, don't try to do something if you're not interested in it. So like my personal thing was I enjoy community service. And I showed that with like a lot of my activities and I didn't have that much experience with research. So I didn't like focus too much on it in my application. But I said I want to like get more research experiences, but I didn't like lie and say, I understand what research is and all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, just basically don't be afraid to be yourself. Have fun with it. At the end of the day, it's just a conversation between you and a few other people to try to see if you're the right fit for the school or if the school's the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. It's just as much about that as it is about uh, you getting in. That's a really good point, because you're going to be here for the next four years, and you know, you want to make sure that you're, this is a place you're going to like, this is a, mm-hmm. the people uh, good, and you know, you're going to succeed in this environment. Yeah, and you have to be picky. Like, Not every medical school is perfect for you, and at the end of the day, you are also, they're interviewing you, but you're interviewing the school to make sure that this is where you want to be so and you do want to be at NSUMB because we're pretty cool <laughs> same go shark shameless luck yes up. they did a shark raise some uh, symbol thing right like <laughs> yeah. that thing yeah, yeah okay yeah. it's it's great we love it <laughs> all right well i i think that's it for um questions and gonna go ahead and close out this episode so i know dr bachman there's like a closeout thing that we don't know yet but Oh, usually Samantha just saying uh, you're going to sink or swim kind of thing. I'm not doing it. You can make your own closeout, though. You know what? You know, by episode two, we'll have a closeout. But, uh, yeah. Excellent. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs>
We could just get auto tune of Samantha from previous episodes as a background thing. You know what? We could do that. I think Andrew can make some magic happen. Yeah, one thousand percent. We could also make a fun introduction. Like a theme song. Exit. Yeah, we have. Listen, I got our garage band somewhere. Mm-hmm. We are running out of time. We need to end this episode. Yeah, it's still right. recording, but yeah. oh, all right. Yeah, we ended it. Nope. Right, yeah, so we'll see you in episode two. Okay. <laughs>